Thanks for listening to the Highlands Highfields Message Podcast. Whether you're new to Highlands and are listening for the first time or you want to hear a past message again, welcome. Our heart at Highlands is to lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus so you can have a life full of purpose as you grow in your faith and lead others to Jesus. We hope you enjoy and are inspired by the latest message from one of our communicators. What a king looks like. Because he's looked at Saul, and Saul is a, a tall, tall, Saul is known as a very tall and a very strong man, and quite a handsome man. And so Samuel's going with an idea in his mind about what a king should look like. And as he looks, and he's led to, to Jesse, and as he looks over these, these, well, initially seven sons, he sees Eliab, and Eliab is the eldest. And straight away, he thinks this has got to be the guy. Strong, oldest leading in his family. And we pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 6 and 7. And it says, When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab, the oldest, and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. See, he'd already had a pre-understanding in his mind about, about surface level what the next king should look like. But verse 7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Father, I pray this morning that as we unpack your word, help us to see what it means that you look at our hearts, that you look at the inner parts of who we are. In Jesus' name. Don't look at the outward appearance, God says, but look at the heart. How many know that that is so opposite to what the world says? You know, we see people skin deep. We see people, we, we form an opinion of people, and we put them in a box. This is the way the people are. That's Oh, that, they must be really, because they're friendly on the, on the surface. Or they must have it all together because they're, they're, they're earning a great income, or they've got a great job. Or, and we form these opinions straight away. We see things skin deep, we put people in a box, and we respond so much to the outward appearance. But all of the brothers of, of, uh, of Eliab, all of Jesse's sons were no, until the youngest who's been ignored by Jesse. He wasn't even brought along to first be introduced to Samuel. How would you be if yeah, there's eight of you, eight sons, and seven get invited to meet Samuel and one gets left out to continue to do the work? And this one, who's an afterthought, who wasn't initially invited to meet Samuel, he's out in the fields working. His name is David. And he's God's choice. Because David... Not only is outwardly, but inwardly, someone that God can work with. Not perfect. If you read the stories right through the Old Testament about King David, you know he's not perfect. But he's somebody that God can work with. So today what I want to do is I want to look at what's skin deep and what's under the surface. And I found the best way to describe this and to illustrate this. And actually this message came out of an image that I got while we were on holidays. It's interesting when you go on holidays how God drops a whole lot of stuff in for you to, you know, it's like, I'm having a break now, God. And God says, yeah, yeah, that's what you think. And he, he drops in all this stuff. 
When we were, we were on holidays at Hamilton Island, and I mentioned last week, for those of you who weren't here, that we had the privilege of, of uh, friends of ours have a catamaran that just happened to be up at Hamilton Island. They invited us to come, come up and do a bit of sailing with them, which was such a blessing. And then stay on the boat a little while when they went off when it was docked in, a, in a Hamilton Island. I know, suffering for Jesus, but we were happy to do that. But while we, were, while we were there, I just noticed so many people, how clean they kept their boats. Like There's lots of big catamarans and small little boats, but boats like this one, which were just beautiful sailing boats, really clean and, and, and crisp. And you know, all the time you'd see people out and they'd be, they'd be cleaning the boat. Um, show the next one where they were cleaning the boat, Sam. And, and you know, you'd see people and they'd take, you know, they, they'd polish up every little area and think, oh, how great did that look? And every evening you'd see, you know, people out cleaning their boats, washing and polishing and looking great. And they looked so well looked after. And they worried so much about how it looks for other people. What would other people see? What do other people see about how it looks? Rather than what's under the surface. Because later on, about two or three, three days in, I saw a boat that they'd actually, at Hamilton Island, I've got this, this system where you can take the boats, take them out of the water and lift them up so that they can be cleaned under the surface. And you see a boat that up until the water level is just beautiful and pristine because they've been cleaning it and having it looking really nice and everybody looks and says, wow, look at how clean it is. And then you bring some of these boats out of the water and under the surface where really it matters in terms of its effectiveness and its efficiencies and being able to do what it's supposed to do, but where people can't see, and you see barnacles, and you see build-up. Below the surface, dirt and debris that impact on the effectiveness and the efficiency and the immediacy of your response, if, if the skipper wants to move in a certain direction and you've got this build-up, it doesn't respond as quickly as it needs to. It's buoyancy and it's speed. And as you talk to people who really understand the water and understand sailing, they say that it is even more important to continually clean under the surface. They actually call this cleaning or they call it anti-fouling. And as I saw that, I thought about my life and I thought about our lives and I thought about how much we care about what people see and we do a lot of work. Well, people's coming up, you know, we do all the work to get rid of the people, we conceal the people. But, you know, when there's stuff happening within us, sometimes we don't even notice it. We don't notice the barnacles that are building up in our lives. We don't do anything about them because it's not what people necessarily see. Yet it has a huge impact on the function and the performance of ourselves. Just like this has a huge impact on the function and the performance in the water. As boats navigate the journey. As we navigate the journey of life. What's under the surface? That's the question. During the journey of life that you're on. What's under your waterline? What equips you? What impacts you positively or negatively in your life? What's beneath the surface? I heard it said once that when we react in a situation or a circumstance, so often it's just reenacting the past. Let me say that again. So often when we react in a situation, it so often reenacts something that's happened in the past. Come back to the barnacle. Maybe there's a barnacle that's built up because of something that's happened to us in the past that we've never really dealt with. And it's under the surface and we never feel, feel we need to deal with it. It just sits there. 
But then something happens to us and we react because we are reenacting what happened 3, 5, 10, 20 years ago that's never really been dealt with, that's never been cleaned, that's never been done. I heard someone else say once that whenever you're hysterical, most often it's because it's historical. Something that hasn't been dealt with in the past, something that's been built up like a barnacle on a boat under the surface, that God says, I want you to be clean. Above the surface and below the surface. This morning, I believe many of us are carrying things below the surface. And there's some pain there. And the good news is, I absolutely believe this morning that God wants to gently help us to work on some stuff below the surface to bring us freedom. That's what I've been praying about. You're going to have the opportunity being prayed for a little bit, a little bit later on. I believe, I totally believe God's going to bring freedom this morning as we focus on not just what's above the surface, but we allow him to go to places below the surface. But we don't get it. We don't understand because we're so focused on the outward stuff. The Apostle Paul says this. He, he says, I don't understand why I do some things that I do. I, I don't understand what's below the surface. He puts it this way. He says in Romans chapter 7 and, 7 and verse 15, he says, I do not understand what I do, for I don't do what I'd like to do, but instead, I do what I hate. Since what I do is what I don't want to do, this shows that I agree with the law, that the law is right. So I am not really the one who does this thing. Rather, it's the sin that lives within me. See, Paul has an understanding. He says, I don't get it. I, I want to do stuff, but I don't do. And I do do the things I don't want to do. And as he unpacks if you unpack the letter that Paul writes to the church in Rome, it's because what he's saying is there's things below the surface in his life as the apostle. There's things below the surface God just wants to bring healing to. I have a desire to do good, but sometimes I just don't carry it out. There's this thing below the surface that gets in the way, that wages war. There's this self-sabotage that goes on. There's a sense of escape. Rather than dealing with it, I'm just going to escape. But it stays there. And we wonder why there's the battle that's going on. We wonder why there's a battle. Why do I sometimes do the things I do? What are the things below the surface? The people pleasing. That creates anxiety. The hiding unhealthy patterns. The addictions. The lies. What's happening below the surface? What's the core stuff that brings that up? Now, I'm no professional qualified counsellor. That's Kaz's job. That's what Kaz, Kaz is the professional qualified counsellor. That's not me. But today what I want to do is I want to look at the scriptures. I want to bring a look at four triggers, if you like, that might help you to understand there's things below the surface. And then I, actually three triggers. And then I want to give you one area that I believe God provides for us to wash underneath the surface of our lives. What sets us off? Every day, you and I are triggered. We're going to be triggered, and we are triggered. And often we don't understand. We interact with people every day, and people say and do things that can trigger us. The question is, what are the barnacles that have latched onto your life? Without knowing it, someone rubs against one of these wounds, one of these struggles, one of these pain points, and without knowing it, all of a sudden, something happens in us, and we respond. We either lash out, or we go back and retreat. But something happens and we think, later on, if you think about it, I, think, I don't even know why I responded that way. But something's happening that's rubbing against one of those barnacles. Maybe someone minimized you. Maybe someone didn't respect you. 
And it took you back to a moment and a place. You don't even realize it's happened, but it's taken you back to a moment and a place where that happened before and you were hurt. Maybe someone doesn't follow through in detail. And that frustrates you. And you don't understand why it frustrates you, but it does, but it takes you back. Maybe someone abandoned you. Maybe there was someone who had a choice of words or a decision that was made or a tone or an action that triggered you. God wants to clean what's causing the trigger in our lives. Most of us go to one or four places. Here they are. The first place that we go to that when we're triggered is we go to what some people would call is, is a hideaway. Or they hide out. You're triggered and you, you, you step back and you go. You, you, you escape from the pain in your lives by hiding out. And that might be hiding out with a big bowl of ice cream. It might be hiding out with binging. I just need it, Murray. I just need to binge. Why? What's happening to cause that? Nothing wrong with watching lots of TV shows back to back to back, is there, darling? It's a show called Alone. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's an amazing... Sorry. Ice cream, binges, addictions. Sometimes, for some people, the hideout is an addiction. Whether it's alcohol, whether it's drugs, whether it's pornography. And there's something beneath the surface that takes you back there. It's a hideout. And it's an unhealthy hideout. And God wants it to stop. And he wants to help. He doesn't just say stop. He wants to help. Because he wants to clean up what's below the surface that comes out. And you think, well, that's, it's just my, it's my way of debriefing. No, no, no. It's my way of just, just defragging. No, no, no. It's my way of just, just working through and relaxing. No. It's a way of keeping you coming back to that thing below the surface that keeps rubbing and rubbing and rubbing and rubbing. We take worry and anxiety and we take it to this hiding place and hope everything will be okay. John Ortberg in his book says, things might give me a moment of peace. Some things might give me a moment of peace, but it will never make me a person of peace. You might be able to zonk out in your addiction or you might be able to zonk out by stepping back, or you might be able to pretend it's not happening by just moving away from people. It might give you what you think is a moment of peace, but it doesn't make you a person of peace, where you live in the peace that God's got for you. See, when you get triggered, where do you go to hide out? Tim Keller, amazing preacher and teacher who's just recently passed away, he calls these hideouts counterfeit gods. You go to that addiction rather than coming to me. God says. You hide away from people rather than coming to me, God says. He says, watch what I can do with what's below the surface. If you don't hide out, but you come out to me. What's under the surface? Majority of Christians I know aren't even aware of triggers like this. And they're not even aware of it. And this morning, me even saying this might make you go, wow, I do that. I do that. When things trigger me, that's what I do. What does it mean to make God your first response? I said this last week. Your first response, not your last resort. That's what he wants. That's what our God wants. Come to me first. It's interesting how we think we can hide from that situation. We think we can hide from that circumstance. We think we can hide from people. We actually think we can hide from God. We do. The first people who ever walked the earth thought they could do it. And it's continued through the generations. 
Remember Adam and Eve, the story in Genesis chapter 3 and Adam and Eve? Then the man and, the, and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden of the cool of day. Now, up until then, they worked walked closely with God. They longed to walk with God in every moment of every day. But what happened was there was a barnacle that built up below the surface where they did something that God didn't want them to do. Sin, the first sin, going against God's will. And what they did was they... They realized that they did something God wanted to do. And what did they do? They hid. God, was, God, as he walked in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? They hid from him. And God said, where are you? Now, that's not a GPS question. God's like, where have they gone? Where, 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 where are they? Where, 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 where did Adam and Eve go? He knew exactly where they were physically. What he was asking was, why are you hiding? What are you hiding? It's the first question in the Bible. Where are you? Hiding out is not what God wants us to do. Coming to him is what he wants us to do. God asked that same question today. Where are you? Where are you hiding? What are you hiding? Why are you hiding? Because he says, I'm with you and I'm for you. Yet the first thing that we do when we're triggered is we can hide. And there's so many ways that we can hide out. The second place we go when we're triggered is we can go to our insecurities. And one of the big insecurities is stories that we tell ourselves. It's stories that we tell ourselves. Oh, I'm an idiot. See, I've done it again. Why am I such a screw-up? I always blow it. Why? My friends never do this. What's wrong with me? And we go to the, we write this story about ourselves and it becomes, we get triggered and it becomes this personal blame and we beat ourselves up and we go to that place and we, we actually, what it's called gossip, we gossip about ourselves. You know that you can gossip about yourself? We gossip to God about ourselves, telling him how bad we are. God says, you know what, you're not that bad. I love you and I'm for you. And this is, this is not about beating yourself up. We gossip about ourselves in our minds and then we start to believe the lies over the true image of who God has created us to be. We shut down and escape in self-rejection. It's interesting, I was, I was just reading through the week around this, this whole idea of, of wearing masks. And you may know this, but actors in early Greek times would wear different masks. They, you might have a play and you might only have two actors. And they would put on a different mask to portray a different character. And did you know what those actors were called? Hypocrites. The word in Greek, in, in Greek is hypocrite, to wear different masks. And it was, it was seen as a positive thing in those days because it was like that's what the actors do. They're a, they're a hypocrite. They wear different masks. But if you understand the, the word hypocrite today, it's not being who God wants us to be, but thinking we need to wear a mask in different situations and different circumstances to pretend that we're different people in different circumstances. And God says, I created you to be you, Murray. And if you're not going to be you, who's going to be you? And if you try and be like Steve, then, then hang on a minute. Steve's supposed to be Steve. Murray, you're not supposed to be Steve. You can learn from Steve, but Murray, you're supposed to be Murray. Don't wear the Steve mask. Don't wear the people who think I'm really good when I preach if I'm like this, but when I'm out there and having a coffee, I'm like some, I put my other mask on. And then when I'm, when I'm at the sporting club, I've got my other mask. You just, just be me. Just be you. Just be real. 
not perfection, not people-pleasing, not angry. Just allow yourself to understand truth and don't listen to the enemy's lies because the enemy, the enemy will lie to you continually about who you are. Pastor and author Carlos Whitaker says this in his book. He says, we spend our lives cleaning the cobwebs when we need to kill the spider. I've been cleaning up around the place. And we've got a fence. And every second day I'll get out with my broom and clean the cobwebs off. And every second day they're back again. And it's not until I get the spray out. I'm sorry for those of you who don't like killing things. But I do. I'm going to be honest. When I spray them, they don't come back. Because I go to the cause, not the effects. Yet in our lives, you know what we do? We don't go to the cause and say, hang on a minute. There is a lie that I'm believing. I'm going to come against the lie and believe the truth of who God says that I am. That I am more than a conqueror. That I'm not perfect, but I am loved by him. That he has a plan and a purpose for my life. That he's going to, he's going to help me to grow more today than I was yesterday. That I'm going to get through this situation, this circumstance. And not the lies that say I'm not good enough. I'll never be good enough. Nobody really likes me. There's a difference. Cobwebs are our hideouts. If we think about what Whitaker's saying, cobwebs become our hideouts. They become our coping mechanisms. They become our addictions. They become our patterns where we spend our lives trying to clean up the cobwebs and they keep coming back. But it's not until we get to the core and we go, no, enough that we get to kill the spider that's in us. We get to kill the lie that we believed. We clean up under the surface. There are hideouts. There are the insecurities of the the things we, the lies we believe about ourselves. And then thirdly, the other thing that we go to when we're triggered is we can create false stories about others. We can create false stories about others. We start to write the narrative about other people. It becomes the blame game. We see it in social media all the time, don't we? People lashing out and they feel like they have a freedom to lash out and somebody says one thing and whoa, we just jump all over them. And we lash out and we find reasons to point the finger. We find reasons to, to lash out and, and to say things that break the heart of God because it justifies my pain, it justifies my anger and it justifies my sorrow and it, just tri- it justifies the trigger that's happened in me and it keeps me there. You see, we need to understand and recognize the number one strategy of the devil is lies. He lies to us about us and he lies to us about others. Jesus was challenging the people about him who were listening to him around the the whole God, who you're listening to. Are you listening to God? Are you listening to the devil? What influences are you having in your life? And And he explains the true nature of the devil. He explains the true nature of our enemy. And he says this in John chapter 8 and verse 44. He says, For you are the children of your father, the devil. You love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning, the enemy, the devil. He's always hated truth because there's no truth in the enemy. When he lies, it's consistent with his character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. That's what the enemy does. He comes to lie. To rob, to kill, to destroy through lies. That's what he does. And so he'll lie to you about you and he'll create lies in you about others to distract away from what he wants. It's what he does. He steals our peace. So we must get to know that the enemy lies and we've got to start saying, no, 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 not today, Satan. 
I'm not going to believe the lies you're talking to me about me and I'm not going to start to believe the lies about others. I'm going to protect my heart. We're going to sit in a place of truth. We're going to sit in a place of truth. When we get triggered, we feel we have, I don't know, a permission. When something happens in us that rubs against the barnacles of our past that's under the surface, we, we feel like we have permission or license to escape, to go to our hideout, to hide out, to believe our lives about ourselves or to create false stories about others to justify. But you know what happens? God will keep bringing people into your world if you keep hiding out and creating stories and lies about yourself and believing stories and lies about others. God will keep bringing people into my world and into your world to keep challenging us until we finally go enough of the triggers Enough of the hiding out, enough of the projecting. God, what do you want to teach me about me? What would it look like to clean below the surface? Enough of the surface stuff. Let's get below the surface. Church, today's the day. Today's the day to recognize the triggers, firstly, and then the places we go. And then it's about having the courage to look under the surface and say, here are my barnacles. Here's what's below the surface in my life. And I don't want them to affect my life anymore. Enough. Enough of my past affecting my present and my future. Enough of that situation. Enough of those words that were spoken over me. I don't want it anymore, God. I don't want it anymore. Today's the day to step into the fourth response to a trigger. It's the most beautiful thing you can step into. The most beautiful thing you can experience. It's called the grace of God. The grace of God who says, I see you exactly where you are. I see your pain. I see your anguish. I see your past. I see your situation. I see your circumstance. And I love you. And I want to bring freedom to you. Will you go beyond the surface with me and let me bring freedom? The grace of God. See, it's not about going, this is all going on. I've got to find another life. I've got to find another boat. This boat's got too many barnacles in my life. I've got to find another one. I've got to create another life for myself. I've got to change. It's not about finding another life. It's about telling God you're his and then letting the grace of God fill our hearts and clean our lives. It's about accepting God's grace. Some of you are Christians and going, well, you know, I accept Jesus. Yeah, 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 I know. I know we've accepted Jesus, but have you accepted his grace to continue to clean? Continue to set free. It's being prepared to see the barnacles that have sucked onto the side of under the surface of our lives and deciding to either choose an unhealthy escape and a hideout, an unhealthy lie that's untrue about me or an unhealthy story about others, or being prepared to do the work and open up your one and only life to God who wants to save you, who wants to rescue you, who wants to bring you freedom. Why do I get passionate about this? Is because the scriptures say when the sun sets us free, we're free indeed. See, what Jesus did on that cross was he created a way not for us to know a God who's out there, but to know a God who's not just close, a God who's in here. And if you've accepted Jesus into your life, that freedom he wants you to experience through his grace. If you've not ever asked Jesus into your life, you've never experienced the freedom and the grace God gives, I'm going to give you a, a moment. I'm going to give you an opportunity just to pray a simple prayer to ask him into your life. But for some of us, we've asked him into our lives, but we're not in that place of accepting his grace. 
the freedom that he wants to bring. Can you imagine getting triggered maybe two years ago and your response is to spiral, to, to run to your hideout or, or to lie to yourself about your own failings or to, vil, to, 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 to villainize others. But imagine today being so connected and so grounded in Jesus and his grace that instead of running to something else, you actually come to the Father and say, God, I need you right now. Would you heal me from the pain of my past? Would you remove what's going on in my world? God, I need you to heal me from the pain of my parents and what they said and what they did. God, I need you to heal me from the pain of that past experience. God, I need you to heal me and help me to forgive. God, I need you to heal me from my health, which is failing. God, I need you to heal me from a life that I keep putting at risk. God, I need you to heal me from addiction. and I'm not going to run back to that, but I want to be healed from it. God, I need you to heal me from a relationship that's struggling. I need your grace in that space right now. God, I need you to heal me from my marriage, which is on the rocks. Show me by your grace what you want me to do. Rather than show me what I need to do to get it right because I want it the way I want it. God, show me what it means to walk with you with a future that's uncertain. I need help to be the person who walks in grace. Here's how important grace is in New Testament times. When, when, when I realized, when I learned this and I read this years ago, it blew my mind. See, in old Israel, People would greet each other with the word shalom. You've heard that, haven't you? People, you know, the, the, in old Israel, they, they would walk up to each other, shalom, shalom, which means peace, means peace be with you. Shalom, peace be with you. Beautiful, beautiful way of greeting one another. Peace be with you, peace be with you. Right through the Old Testament, you'd see the word shalom as you meet people, as you, as you left people, you'd have a conversation. Shalom, peace be with you. Beautiful. But because of the cross, the Apostle Paul changed the way he greeted people and he changed the way the people were greeted. He added to peace and he would say, grace and peace be with you. See, because of what Jesus did on the cross, he created a way not just for us to desire peace with one another and for one another, but also for God's grace to pour out in all of us. You see, we need to understand and recognize the only way to walk in true peace, in true shalom, is to understand true grace. And that's Jesus. We need to allow God's grace into our lives, just like the boat owners who remove the mess, the barnacles of the past journeys, so that it doesn't affect the course of the next journey. They remove the barnacles under the boat so that the next journey is one that's effective and goes the way that it's supposed to go in the time that it's supposed to go, with the efficiencies and the effectiveness it's supposed to be. And God says, for your future, I bring my grace to help to bring healing and wholeness to your life. If you'll accept it. The Apostle Paul reminds us that God is doing a good work and he's not done yet when he writes this to the, to the church in Philippi. He says, in all my prayers for all of you, I'll always pray for joy because of your partnership with the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, being confident of this, that he began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He who began a good work in you. See, God has begun a good work in you. And he wants to continue it to completion. And the way he wants to continue it to completion is he wants you to experience the incredible grace of God. The incredible grace that only Jesus can bring because he died for you on a cross. 
and then overcame death and hell and three days later rose again, that not only that you might know about God, but you might experience the love and the peace and the incredible grace of God that says, I want to bring healing. I want to bring wholeness. And hear this, church. I want to bring freedom. I want to bring freedom. So church, I pray that you would be so aware of what's underneath the surface. Even though those things aren't fair, even those, though you don't deserve the things that are under the surface, you would now become aware of them so that you can ask the grace of God to clean them, that you could be set free. Simply a prayer that says, Jesus, I can't, but by your grace, you can. He came to set you free. And who the Son sets free. Who the Son sets free. Who Jesus Christ sets free is free indeed. Not just surface, but all the beautiful things below the surface that he wants to bring freedom. You might walk in freedom. This week, I'd encourage you to read Psalm 139. I was going to read it right through, but I'm just going to read the first part of it. I want you to dwell in Psalm 139. This speaks so beautifully into the grace of God in our lives. King David, the king that I talked about that was chosen by God and that Samuel didn't see initially, but God did. That Jesse didn't see initially, but God did. Who became the greatest king. A man after my own heart, God would say. He wrote this. Oh Lord, you're not the perfect man. Not the perfect man by any means. And he wrote this. Oh Lord, you examine my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or when I stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel, when I rest at home. You know everything I do, surface and below the surface. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord, you go before me and follow me. You're, you place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your beautiful spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell in the farthest ocean, even there your hand will guide me, your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me. I could find a hideout place. I could go to my hideout place. And the light around me would become night. But even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as brightness of day. Darkness and light are the same to you. You made all the intricate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. The work, your workmanship is marvellous. How well I know. What a beautiful conversation David's having to his Lord. Revelation. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. And every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God. They cannot be numbered. 
I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. God of grace is with us. He wants to do some cleaning and he wants to bring some freedom. Let's pray. Oh, loving God, I pray this morning that as we've, we've talked about what's on the outside and what's on the inside, we've talked about what's above the surface and what's below the surface. As we read through David's beautiful psalm, we recognize that you're in everything, in every moment. You know everything about us. And your desire, your desire is that we might enter into a freedom that only your grace can bring. And so I pray that over every single person here this morning. I pray, Father God, that you would bring freedom. And Lord, for those who are sitting in this place this morning and maybe have never ever experienced your freedom, they've never actually asked you to lead their lives. Or maybe they did so long ago and they've realized that their walk has been a walk where they've walked away from you. And they know this morning you're calling them back. So many of us in this place, church, have been in a, in a moment like this where we've realized God is pulling at the heartstrings of our heart and calling us to Him or calling us back to Him. And God's wanting a response. And if that's you, if it's time for you to come back to Jesus, or if it's time for you to come to Him for the first time, it's time for you to say yes to Jesus. Yes, I realize that you died on that cross that I could experience love and grace and mercy and freedom. And if that's you right now, I would so love to pray for you like somebody prayed for me when I was in this moment. I'd love the privilege of praying for you. And in this moment of prayer, if that's you, could I pray for you really quickly right now? The best way for me to know who I'm praying for is if you just raise your hand right now. Is that you? God, I want Jesus in my life, leading my life. No more me on my own. Thank you. I see that hand. That's amazing. That's awesome. Is there anyone else? That's fantastic. I need Jesus. Is that you? I need the freedom that Jesus brings. Is there anyone else this morning? We've got one person who's saying, I need Jesus. Is that you? Don't miss this moment, friend. God's knocking at the door of your heart. He's saying it's now. Is there anyone else? Church, let's pray. Let's pray. And if you raised your hand, or in your heart, you know this is you right now. Just pray this simple prayer with me. It's a simple prayer, but it changes your eternity. You will never, ever be alone again. Dear Jesus, thank you that you died for me. That you can't, thank you that you came to set me free. Forgive me, God, for ignoring you in the past. I accept you into my life as my Lord and my Saviour. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Highlands Highfields Message Podcast. We hope you feel encouraged to take these words with you to know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and to make a difference. If you feel moved by today's message and want to connect with us, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at highlands.highfields on Facebook or Instagram or head to highlandschurch.org.au for more resources and information. Be sure to follow the Highlands Highfields message podcast on your preferred platform to stay up to date with our latest message. We hope to see you in person soon.